This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today, we've got a little of this and a little of that for you, but we also want to hear from you. We're halfway through the last month of the year. Do you have any financial questions you need answered? Our Charter Financial Analysts donate their time to take your questions. Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Before I dive into the financial news of the week, I did have a little thing I wanted to share. You know, I think everybody uh, gets annoyed by the various phishing scams that are out there. I get a lot of emails, and I chuckle at a lot of them, you know, especially the ones that say my Netflix account is being suspended because of a problem, and uh, contact us immediately. Well, gee, I don't really have a Netflix account. Recently, I've been getting a lot of things from Chase, and I don't have a Chase credit card, but I thought this one was funny. The header uh, has both English and what looks like possibly Portuguese, Italian, I'm not sure, but it's in a foreign language. But then the body of the email says this. We unable verify your online banking account. We're sorry this happened to your account. We have found fraudulent activity in your last transaction. This is an action to keep our customers' uh, transactions safely without problems. We know this might be frustrating for you, but don't worry. We can easily help you solve the problem. Follow up, and it's a link, this, then we can help you solve your problem. Otherwise, you can still contact us at the bottom of the page. Our customer services can help you 24-7 online support. There's not a number at the bottom of the page, uh, but I would say uh, to you fishers out there, spend a little bit money and get a better translation program. Don't 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 tell them that, Kevin. Don't don't tell them how to make it work. It is pretty bold of them and kind of clever for uh, a fr- a fraud scheme to assert that they've discovered fraud because you know, it kind of puts you it puts you in kind of a little panic mode and you're just like, oh my gosh, I need to correct this as soon as possible. What do I need to do? Oh, I need to click link at bottom. Or whatever. Yes. So that's, that's oh, I agree. Insidious. They, they've gotten better because it's always a large purchase that's been made, and the last couple I've gotten uh, are, look really legitimate because they have, a, you know, a date that supposedly this transaction took place, a store, the amount, and everything. But then, and the first time I got that, I I think I have a city credit card, and I at first I couldn't remember, so I did a little bit of a panic. But then I realized I don't have a Chase account, so I've been fortunate enough in that they've not hit me on the proper you know account that i have so it's kind of easy to uh dismiss them and i think this is one i've shared uh, before on the air but i know that uh paypal will address any uh correspondence to you that comes legitimately from them with your username and i think that's one uh to uh, to look at it because a lot of uh, pl- places do so if it's dear customer or that sort of thing i think you can uh, suspect it as being uh, fraudulent but i really thought that was funny because it's just awful grammar, so uh, that was an mm-hmm. easy way to determine that that was that was not legit. So, so good morning, Nancy. Uh, what uh, financial news caught your eye this week? Oh, good morning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that Google Translate can get you every time. <laughs> um, 
Well, um, it's interesting to see the rollout of the vaccine, and we always measure consumer sentiment or consumer confidence, and there's a reason we do that. The way we feel about things overall will translate into the economy, and two-thirds of our economy is based on consumer spending. So even though we are months away from really getting back to normal, this news and watching this news has our uh, confidence void a, a bit. And so we are seeing predictions of healthy consumer spending in 2021, and that will translate to um, probably good economic activity and good markets overall. Ryder, how about you? Uh, so what's been really interesting to me lately is watching house prices. Um, of course, there's kind of been the national trend uh, all year of um, folks leaving some of the largest cities, some of where the, some of the largest employers were uh, moving to other cities where they can work remotely. Um, and of course, just general trends of you know a lot of corporate headquarters opening up in uh, Austin, Texas. I have some friends and family in Austin, Texas. Several corporate headquarters moving there, and it's just it's just really changing the city, changing the market there. Um, but all real estate is local, and I'm seeing it come to the metro area too. And you used to hear you know, several years ago stories about some big cities where you know there would be bidding wars over houses and cash offers coming in at higher than the asking price, and even things like that not winning uh, the bid. Um, I recently worked with someone who was, they were in a bidding war for a house. They didn't get it because they got beat out by a cash offer that was well above the asking price. And that was here in uh, little old Mississippi. So uh, these uh, kind of crazy real estate stories are coming everywhere. And um, you know, it's just for a long time, we haven't built enough houses. Uh, it's made housing less and less affordable uh, for younger and lower income folks. And that's and as feeding into this frenzy. Uh, this time of year is a lot of shopping goes on traditionally. Uh, do we generally kind of look back after it's over and see what sort of shopping season it's been or spending season it's been, or do we get any kind of indication as, as we're actually going through it? Nancy? Well, we do start to get information, usually um, over the Black Friday weekend, but that has changed because you know, Black Friday has changed and expanded, and we're shopping online. So we start to get information about what people are doing. We're seeing, of course, more online spending um, growing faster than we anticipated because of the pandemic. But we still have some concerns about how our retail numbers will play out overall. And I'll go back to what I said at the top of the show. Consumer sentiment has an effect on this. So we could see some bumps up just because people are starting to feel a little more confident and feeling like we're at the end of this. Last week on Money Talks, December 8th, we had one of our favorite guests, Sean Mercer of the Social Security Administration. Nancy, you posted a blog on New Perspective's webpage. It's newpert.com, talking about leaving money on the table, specifically individuals opting to take Social Security benefits as early as they can. If you would, remind us when we can take benefits and what each of us needs to consider when we do that. Well, um, for... Regular situations, the earliest you can take a Social Security benefit is age 62. Um, there is a qualifier to that. If you are a widow, you could take widow's benefits at age 60. But when you take benefits at 62, you're only going to collect somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of what your full benefit would be if you waited until your full retirement age, which for most people is going to be around age 67, somewhere between 66 and 67. 
almost half of us take it at 62. And Ryder and I talk to people all the time trying to encourage them to wait because there's a great benefit. There's a guaranteed uh, compounded return of 8% if you wait. That amounts to about two-thirds of 1% every month that you delay taking those benefits. So we try to uh, encourage folks to not take them early. Some people have to because it's tied in with retirement and they don't have a backup. But we always say to folks, when you retire and when you take Social Security, those are two different decisions. And if you have the resources that you can live out of those when you retire, then you should delay. And the last time you can delay is age 70. But having that guaranteed 8% compounded is enormous. How, how long do you have to wait to get the 8%? Well, again, it, it happens automatically between 62 and age 70. So it, it goes up each year that you delay it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. absolutely. It goes up each, each month you delay. All right. Uh, uh, and then uh, another thing that uh, our friend Sean Mercer likes to talk about is the My Social Security account. Again, if you could remind us about that and, and why you think it's important to keep tabs on that. Well, you need to sign up for an account at uh, ssa.gov and go through a process so you can look at your actual earnings because your benefit will be based on your earnings. And I found uh, an error in my earnings record, and so I had to contact Social Security and ask for that to be corrected. It's really important that you monitor that, that earnings record. You will see your actual record online if you have an account, and then you will see an estimate of what your benefits would be at age 62 and then full retirement age and then age 70. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're discussing anything you'd like today. Have you watched any money-saving YouTube videos? We've got some to suggest for you coming up. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions.
You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone on demand to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. You can find all kind of advice on the website YouTube. Episodes of Money Talks can be found on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. There are videos there just about uh, for just about everything. Maybe you'd like to watch Frugal Fit Mom's video called 132 Meals for $42. The Minimal Mom channel has a video called 57 Things We Don't Buy Anymore. So uh, check that out. Uh, always fun uh, searching through YouTube, uh, YouTube to see what you can find. Ryder, you wrote a blog post that we'd like to talk about. We'll be do have a couple of calls to get to, so we'll go there first. We start with a call from Tom from Mantachi. Good morning, Tom. You're on the air with us. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, the question that I have for you is um, my wife and I have both retired this year, and I thought that part of the you know, the stimulus package or whatever that they passed this year, we had to dip into our 401K a couple times, and the company that we got our money through went ahead and taxed that money. I, I was understood. I understood that uh, that they were going to waive the taxes or whatever for this year on if you had to make an early withdrawal on your 401k. Is that correct? That is um, not correct. Yeah. Uh, Ryder, oh, okay. go ahead. You jump in. Well, okay. So there is um, there is a a certain circumstance where you can have the taxes waived and it's not waived it's just you owe them over a three-year period and you're allowed to pay them back over the three-year period um generally speaking with a 401k you can choose whether or not they withhold the taxes some 401k companies do have a mandatory tax withholding so that's what it sounds like may have happened to you um and a lot of them just simply haven't updated their systems because they have changed the law about 401k and IRA withdrawals about three or four times this year. So it's kind of understandable that they haven't been able to keep up. If this is a withdrawal that you plan to pay back, so there you were allowed $100,000 that you could withdraw and you could pay it back over three years. One of the years is this year. You would need to get it in in the next two weeks now. Um, if, if that is your plan, um, then you would get the money back on your taxes when you file them because it would, you know, you would not owe the taxes. You would have already paid it, so you'd get a refund. Um, so that's if you plan on paying uh, on on paying that money back in. Does that oh, make sense? Okay. Also, uh, let me just jump in and say what was waived were the penalties for early withdrawal. So you're probably over 59 and a half. Penalties would not apply to you at all. But for younger people who needed to tap into those retirement accounts, that 10% penalty was waived. But the taxes, as Ryder said, are not waived. A little catch on this, even though you can pay those taxes, spread them out over three years, then really they're actually due as if you took it all in the one year, but then you have to go back and you make, make sure you talk to whoever is doing your taxes and they understand what you're trying to do, spread the tax over three years, or if Ryder has mentioned putting that money back, you can do that so that you get the tax back. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I am over, uh, you know, well, I'm 64, and I was going to say my wife is 57, so she didn't make meet that 59 and a half age limit. 
Well, then, um, if she withdrew from hers before 59 and a half, then, then this year that penalty would be waived. Okay. And they did take out the taxes, so we might as well just leave it as is, and then all we have to do is is get the um, the penalty for being under 59 and a half would be waived this year only. Right. Now, understand that you really have to make sure that um, that this is related to COVID, but that's not a big stretch for most people this year. Right. I understand. All right. Well, thank you so very much. You guys are always great. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Good to hear from you this morning. Let's move on next. Gina is called in from the road. Good morning, Gina. You're on the air. Hi. Good morning. We've got a debate, and uh, the question is, which years of income determines the amount of Social Security earnings uh, or the Social Security retirement check? Well, I can answer this because I've learned so much from Sean being on our show. And what we know is it's calculated from your 35 highest years. And um, they actually take 40 years, but then they'll drop five years. But if you listened to Sean last week, then those early years are adjusted for inflation. So you can't just look at the absolute numbers. They go back and adjust. So some of those early years may have a bigger impact than you think. And actually, every year, every year is adjusted for inflation. So even say, if you had the exact same dollar income, you know, this year as you did last year, last year may actually count as a higher income year because of the inflation. So just because it's a high earning year doesn't mean that it's going to count for both. Right. It might not be the highest in the Social Security uh, Administration's eyes, correct? Which is good. They, they, will, they will count your highest inflation-adjusted uh, years. So that's an advantage to us, not them, right? They're not trying to, to, to cut it short. Oh, correct. Absolutely an advantage to you. Yes. Thank you. All right, uh, Gina, thanks for the call. Um, I'm wondering, too, if whether you could get some more information about that or try to an idea from the my Social Security account, uh, if it might. Do you know, Nancy, if it shows you which years they're, they're working with when they make those estimates? Um, it does not. And uh, when you look at your earnings on that account, that's just the absolute or raw numbers. They are not inflation adjusted. All right. Here's another Social Security email. Not sure that you'll be able to answer this, but we'll throw it out there and see what we come up with. It says, what's the formula used to calculate Social Security benefits? Well, I would just say the same thing. Uh, they're looking at your top earnings years, and they will look at 40 years, drop five of the lowest, and again, it's your 35 highest inflation-adjusted earnings years. All right. Very good. Now, so, um, so let me also I, I, mention... Actually, Go ahead, Ryder. Go ahead, Nancy. Okay. So it is actually – Nancy's got the, the general point there. If you want to get a little more specific, you know, it is very complicated because it, it involves taking those 35 years, inflation adjusting them up to what they would be today in the Social Security Administration's eyes, and then it takes a – there is a tiered system where it takes – you know, X percentage of the first 
Y dollars and then X percentage of the next Y dollars. And there's a couple of tiers of income. So essentially, your, your first few dollars count more than your last few dollars. It's complicated, means, but I have a spreadsheet for it. Uh, what that means is that uh, lower earners are more advantaged. Um, your your benefit is going to be weighted more so than the higher earners, if that makes sense. And you actually can get the exact formula on their website. It's, it's deep in there, but you can do it. If I could do it, you can too. So as I mentioned, Ryder, you wrote a blog post on newper.com called What Were We Thinking? Reflecting on some of the predictions for the year 2020. What did some of the experts think was going to happen? Yeah, so one of the most kind of, this is a very popular thing in finance with folks putting out their forecasts for the next year because everyone, you know, thinks that people who work in finance can see the future. Um, I'm here to tell you that's not true. And that was especially not true this year. Um, so they looked at kind of economists at major banks, major investment uh, groups. One of the things that stood out was odds of a recession. Um, most people put it at 10%, which is just kind of, that's that's just saying, yeah, I mean, it might happen just because recessions happen from time to time, but they didn't expect one. Um, only one bank, uh, only one group, uh, Columbia Threadneedle, they're an investment group. They put the odds of a recession at 35%. Um, a lot of them kind of predicted where the uh, stock market would go, and they were all fairly muted. Um, none of them expected great returns out of stocks. And of course, if you looked at the first few months of the year, you know, in March, they were all looking pretty smart, except they were too optimistic in March. Uh, but of course, now we're looking at pretty pretty good returns in the stock market. When you look at the S&P 500 um, up 10 or more percent, uh, you look at the NASDAQ up, uh, what is it, like 30 percent? 38.6 for the year. 38.6 percent for the year. Um, that is pretty. That is pretty wild. And by the way, I, that's not something I know. That's research done by our producer, Liz Gill. So uh, kudos to Liz <laughs> yes. for doing that. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, I, and I did, uh, you know, speaking of kind of why has the NASDAQ done so much better than the S&P 500? And the NASDAQ, uh, it has a lot more growth-oriented stocks. This is one of Nancy's favorite things to talk about. So if she wants to interrupt, I'm going to let her. But some of the specific uh, stocks that were in the NASDAQ index just did so phenomenally. Um, you know, a couple of easy to recognize ones, Moderna, wh who came up with one of the two vaccines we currently have, is in the NASDAQ index. Zoom, if you have gone to a meeting this year, you have gone to a Zoom meeting this year. Um, DocuSign, uh, people are just signing documents uh, electronically these days. And then a handful of, you know, kind of around the world, um, uh, online shopping, Mercado Libre, JD, of course, Amazon is an absolute top performer. PayPal uh, for, you know, because they do a lot of online uh, payment systems. Things like that were already in the NASDAQ index, and those just did so phenomenally, they really pulled the whole thing up so much. Uh, one of the news articles in March uh, was that a certain individuals made millions of dollars selling investments or making investments because they were briefed on COVID-19. Uh, did anything ever come of that? Well, I think there are investigations, yes. Um, right now, looking at some of those, 
And of course, we're hearing a lot about that because of the Georgia Senate race. And David Perdue was involved in some of those discussions. Um, and there have been questions about the number of trades he has placed. So people will be looking at those. I will tell you in our office yesterday, we were having conversations about what is insider trading and what we came around to is it's very difficult to prove. We're discussing anything and everything to help you with your money today. If you want to keep an eye on your credit, it's easier now than ever before. We'll tell you how next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Tap portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. During the times of COVID-19, accessing your credit is important. That's why Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion are now offering free weekly online reports through April of 2021. The website you use is annualcreditreport.com. And Nancy, I think in your newsletter, credit reports were mentioned recently. Right, and I would want to mention you can go straight to our blog at nuper.blogspot.com. Of course, there is a link on our website, nuper.com. And um, our newest staff member, Chanda Davis, attended a webinar last week on credit scores. And so she wrote up a list of questions and answers as far as what goes into a credit score, how it's important, what makes for a good score versus a poor score. And uh, I think you'll find it very helpful. Our producer, Liz Gill, uh, tells me that we will have a link to that webinar on the uh, show page for this particular episode of Money Talk. So if you're interested, uh, check out uh, the blog post, but also uh, the webinar as well. We've got a caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to uh, Bob, who's on the road from Alabama. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I uh, started taking Social Security at the age of uh, 66 and three months, I think, and I was still working. And now I'm over 70 and still working, uh, and I'm still getting Social Security taken out of my pay. Do I get any benefit from that? Yes, you will. Um, now, it may not be a lot, but certainly any additional earnings that you have um, that go into that formula can have an impact on your benefits. 
understand that those earnings are reported by employers only one time a year. And so there may be a lag in the adjustment to your benefits based on that earnings record, but it should be something. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Bob, for the call. Just a reminder again, we spoke with our friend Sean Mercer from Social Security on December 8th. If you go to uh, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, you can listen back to that uh, episode. Sean always has some really great information on point about uh, Social Security. He's one of our uh, longer guests, uh, longer, fre- more frequent visitors, and, and always has some great information uh, about Social Security. So we're in the season of giving. Uh, Generous Mississippians will be thinking of making the end of the year contributions to charities. Nancy, if you would talk about giving appreciated stocks and why that might be better for the giver than just cash. Um, If you want to give away stock, the advantage there is you're not selling a stock that you have a capital gain and a capital gain tax to pay. You're instead giving away that full value of the stock, and it goes to a charity, and the charity, of course, will immediately then cash out, but they don't have capital gains taxes to pay because it's a charity. And so you are bypassing paying the taxes if you would give a cash gift versus just give the stock. We do this for a lot of our folks. The catch on this is you need to make sure that whoever is receiving that is um, an official charity and that they have some sort of brokerage account set up so they can receive those shares of stock. In some cases, we've had to help charities open up brokerage accounts in order to do that. But it's a great way um, to get donations, so I encourage all charities to do that. Um, and and as an example of how effective that can be, I recently uh, recently helped a client give appreciated stock, um, and so out of I'm just kind of making up the numbers for ease of ease of understanding, but out of a thousand dollar gift, they had spent maybe about three hundred dollars purchasing the stock, and they would receive probably about 300 in between 250 and 350 worth of tax benefit for the gift and they would also be avoiding uh, paying capital gains tax on $700 or you know roughly avoiding paying about $100 worth of tax there so that's just kind of the math of that they spent $300 made a $1000 gift and saved hundreds of dollars on taxes. Uh, Can a charitable contribution be part of a required minimum distribution from an IRA? Absolutely. And um, we have a lot of folks who do that. The catch is this year, required minimum distributions are not being required. Um, But some people still are using that calculation and making distributions out of their retirement accounts, which means if it goes straight to a charity, it doesn't count as income. Normally, if you take money out of a retirement account, that counts as income, and you have to pay income tax on it. So that's one way to make your charitable contribution. All right, back to the phone lines we go. Virgil's called in from Mobile. Virgil, you're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. 
Uh, I just wondered, I wanted to explain a situation to you all and get your opinion. Uh, and it goes back to uh, a story my wife and I heard on another NPR station about a couple in Houston. Uh, they were having difficulties, had lost their apartment. They were living in a hotel. And the long and the short of it is we look at each other and say, wow, we ought to try to help them. So we called our NPR station. We live in Pensacola. And we um, and got in touch with the couple. They put us in touch. We got the email. And uh, I thought it would be simple, like, let's send them a check. Well, that didn't happen. They wanted us to use Zelle, and I had never re- – I wasn't really familiar with it, but I saw on my Wells Fargo uh, online account that there was uh, a way to do that. So we actually used Zelle to send them a thousand bucks, and you know said, well, that's nice. You know, I'm glad we did that. But then I started seeing different emails for me. Uh, I have a Gmail, and then suddenly some an AOL comes through, a Yahoo comes through. It's advertisements sometimes. It's offers from anybody from Home Depot to companies I'd never heard of. And, you know, I got a little concerned because I ignored the warning with Zelle, don't use this and do anything with anybody that you don't know. Uh, So I did. And I just got concerned at these different emails that were popping up. I thought to myself suddenly, wow, do I suddenly have accounts with people I don't know anything about, so I I signed up for the LifeLock thing just in case. But what do you think of this? I mean, do you think, I mean, is it normal that these other emails should appear? Or, or, you know, I don't even know how that happens because it's been so many years since I set up the Gmail. But uh, have I screwed up? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, s- spam email is is uh, it, it is a part of life that will probably be with us for a long time. I, you know, I, I don't know if that was you know generally how you maybe if you notice you suddenly started receiving more. It does seem to be that you know maybe some organization you worked with. Uh, used, you know, sold your email to a marketing list and then it just got out, you know? Um, But perhaps, you know, perhaps if that couple used your email address, but I don't know why they would. I mean, because they couldn't check it, so they had no benefit to using your email address for anything. Um, Perhaps if... I, I don't know exactly how Zelle operates. I know it's kind of a consortium of some banks. I know Wells Fargo is very a uh, big proponent of it. I don't think that they use your email for marketing purposes. That is generally one of the prohibited things uh, for financial institutions to do with your email address. Uh, but it is a little bit of a third party to the bank, so I'm not sure um, if, if that is a possibility. Okay. It could just be an unfortunate coincidence. I hope so, but you know, because I felt bad about it, because I wanted to do something, and and mm-hmm. you know, felt felt better about that. But then I thought, have you stupidly exposed yourself to something that you know? Who knows? But uh, and I'm so yeah. I'm not versed in all that at all. I'm an old-fashioned write the check, stick it in the mail kind of guy. So uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, all right. Well, thanks for your time. Then I appreciate it and love your show. All right. Thanks, Virgil. 
Pensacola, one of my favorite towns in Florida. Uh, uh, by the way, um, we did a show on uh, October 13th about transferring money. Uh, so if you're interested and curious like Virgil is, that's a way you can go back and uh, find out some information uh, from that show on our archives. Let's go next to uh, Carolyn, called in from Clinton. Good morning. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes, this is um, Carolyn. I'm calling from Clinton. I have a question. Um, I had a Social Security check that had expired. It was over a year old. It was a large check um, for about $8,000. And um, <clears throat> Social Security on November the 3rd, they were supposed to be, you know, processing the check and going to reissue the check to me. Um, it's been November the 3rd, and still I haven't received my money. Every time I call, they say someone on the phone says the check is still processing. I read on the Internet that it takes um, one day to get it processed, and within five to ten business days, you will receive your money. And so every time I call, you know, it's different people answering the phone, and um, I kind of believe... I'm talking to hackers at some times because I had purchased a new phone and I left that new phone in the car. And it was a few days later, I looked at the new phone and realized it didn't have the same number. And so when I called them again to inquire about my check, um, it was a young lady that answered the phone. I recognized her voice from a previous scam. And um, so, you know, I had kind of like an argument with her. And all of a sudden, I see my phone go to conference, you know, and I'm not making a conference call or anything. So later on, I received a, um, a letter at an address where I received my mail. It was a certified letter. The certified letter had been opened and had um, two pieces of tape placed on the back of it. And it was telling me that I was banned from the Social Security office. I could not come back there. And if I did, I would be arrested. Um, but evidently, when I was having an argument with the hackers, they conference that called in to the Social Security office some kind of way. And to make a long story short, I still have not received my $8,400. Carolyn, I have a question. Um, first of all, why are you getting $8,400 from Social Security? Well, because um, I had my check put on suspension because um, people were going in the mailbox, filling the check, um, uh, checks from my residence when I lived in Clinton. So I had my mail transferred to the post office in Clinton. And when I went there one day, I went early, and I saw um, a young lady. She looked like she could have been 17 to 23 years old. She had a key going into my post office box. So. I um, eventually left where I lived because it had become like a hostile place to live. And so I uh, had my mail transferred to a relative's house in Vicksburg. And so I had my check put on suspension, uh, you know, until I could get situated to where I thought it was a good place to have the check sent. And so they okay, were paying so me. Wait, 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 wait. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling me is this $8,400 represents multiple months of benefits, right? Uh, yes, true. So you so you are due this. When you have made yes. a phone call, are you sure that you're making a phone call to the local Social Security office? Well, um, 
I'm calling the number, but like I say, uh, twice I recognized two voices of two young ladies. One was a white female and one was a black female. Their voices are the same voices people I spoke to when I had a scam pertaining to a car I had purchased. So I was okay, kind of— Okay, well, wait. Uh, hmm? I'm going to stop you there because I think your best bet, and I know this may be inconvenient, but you need to go physically to the Social Security office. Wait, now this and is what I'm telling you. They sent me a letter telling me that I can't come to the Social Security office because I was arguing with these females, and, and you know, and I told you my phone well, lit up to conference. Uh, un unless, mm -hmm. unless you were using some language that could be threatening or aggressive, I can't well, imagine that. Well, I did now, use profanity with the two people that I know that don't work at the Social Security office. Uh, my phone lit up to conference. And they conference okay. that call. Okay, wait, 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 mm -hmm. wait. Because because the the issue is you are due this money and you should be paid. Um, but you need to get to someone who can give you solid information about where that is in process. And did you set it up so that it would go direct deposit? Because most people Social Security well, goes directly no, I in I don't let me say this. I don't do direct deposit because there were issue um uh, several issues at the bank um where I ran into some trouble with the same people um you know making it difficult for me to get my money out of the bank and also uh issue over and over with the debit card. But what I'm saying is that um I told you I left my phone in the car, a brand new phone and they stole that brand new phone. They left um phone in my car. Uh, that I looked at the phone number, and it's not my original phone, you know, that I had purchased a new one. And so, like I say, I do feel that's how they were able to conference me in, because when I was talking on that phone to those two girls, uh, two women that I know, they're hackers and scam artists, um, the phone lit up, to, and it said conference on it. So someone was making well, a conference okay. call. Carolyn, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know what happened to you, but mm -hmm. if this is uh, represents several months of benefits you are owed, I would suggest um, there is a Social Security office in Forest that a lot of people I know go there because it's a smaller office. Um, they have found the person who works there is it's it's easier to park at the front door and go in and deal with this one person. But you do need to physically go to the office and um, and and present yourself in such a way that it's not aggressive or you're just trying to get information and let them track it down. And good luck with that. All right, Carolyn. Thanks for your call. And I, I, I can't remember, but I would, I, I wouldn't think that Social Security would send out a letter telling someone that they're barred from there and would be arrested. But I don't know. But uh, Carolyn, maybe follow Nancy's advice and see what you can help. And we wish you the best of luck with that. This is uh, an open topic day on Money Talks. Uh, do you know your credit score? What uh, credit score do you know, and which do you need to watch out for? We'll have that coming up for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB public media app. found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. If you get your credit score from Credit Karma, you're probably getting a Vantage score, not a FICO score. Different credit lending institutions look at different scores issued by different scoring bureaus. Beside those two agencies, there are about a dozen more credit scoring agencies. If you're concerned about your score, you might want to monitor. Uh, Ryder, um, in general, do you think that the different scores would be fairly close? I mean, I wouldn't imagine there would be a, a huge disparity from one credit score to another. Uh, so there are scores that operate kind of on different scales. So I think the FICO and the Vantage score have slightly different scales. But what you would expect to see is that if one is rising, another one is probably also rising. Um, because they do have very similar inputs, even though uh, the Vantage score is designed to be a little more predictive. And so the way they calculate some of those things, you know, um, if your history is improving, then your Vantage score, um, if you're getting better at repayment, for instance, then that is improving your overall picture. Improving your overall picture is good for your FICO score. But getting better at repayments is even better for your Vantage score because it's looking for that positive trend. So your Vantage score may benefit more when you're doing uh, good things. Uh, it may be quicker to, uh, to, to incorporate uh, those positive trends. And also, I would think, you know, see what the, the range of your score is to see whether in that particular scoring system it's good, bad, excellent, that sort of thing. Uh, but just kind of keep a track on that. Interesting uh, that not all credit scores uh, were created equal. You know, in uh, last December, on the 17th, to uh, December 17th of 2019, uh, we talked uh, with the folks from PERS about how they operate. And, and uh, we have an email here that says, uh, do you have thoughts on the stability of the PERS program? I've heard it was well managed, but I've also heard it isn't. Uh, both of you comment. If you would, let's uh, start with Nancy. Um, everything I've looked at on PERS is they are very well managed, and it is surprising to me being from a small state, but we have uh, a, we've had a really good board that has directed that program, that fund. Um, they've done a, an excellent job. The biggest question that has come up about PERS has been the cost of living adjustments and the way that those are calculated and the concern about not fully funding PERS, and that comes from our legislature, based on what the actuaries are saying they need to do. So that's the biggest concern is the longer term, can they continue to make these um, higher cost of living adjustment payments and um, without fully funding it appropriately? What are your thoughts, Ryder? Uh, well, I, I have to agree with Nancy on that PERS is fairly well managed. Uh, she uh, studied that sort of thing for a PhD dissertation, so I can I will just defer to her on, on that. Um, but she's right; it's the the benefits of PERS are 
one, they're fairly generous, and the cost of living adjustment is a flat 3% every year, even when for the past several years, inflation has just been very muted. So while you may not, they may not be getting quite the return on investments that should be meeting uh, the growing the growing benefits. Um, they have recently done a fairly big raise in the amount uh, that employers and employees contribute. But the biggest thing that any pension fund needs is it needs more workers supporting the retirees. And the state of Mississippi and the municipalities that feed into it, they have fewer workers supporting the number of retirees than they did before. And that's a combination of cutbacks in uh, state and local services. So they're not, you know, they're not hiring as many people, but as well, uh, the retirees themselves living longer or retiring earlier and living longer. So that's, that's a problem that's kind of outside the PERS uh, scope that's an issue. All right, that'll wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast. Just search for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill and our call screener was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.